Hey folks, Big E here with some breaking news. My podcast, Karaoke Big E, was just named the number one karaoke podcast of all time. Don't believe me? Well, you shouldn't. That category definitely does not exist. My co-host Kevmo and I are in a league of our own when it comes to podcasts. So why don't you check out the world's best, well, probably only, karaoke podcast. Karaoke Big E. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or, or wherever else you get your podcast. Or you can check us out at karaokebiggie.com. Come on by every Tuesday and give us a listen. And remember, you can't be a star if you don't shine. Podcast bringing you sweet treats of crazy ass stories from the wild jungle of music. Oh, that's a good one. That was a good one. Yeah. Made up on the fucking fly. It really was. That's pretty a good much. One. We are your two sweet child hosts. Oh. Yeah. I'm Maggie. <laughs> I'm Ashley. <laughs> and this week we are talking about the one and only. Obviously. Obvious. Guns and Roses. Yeah. Welcome. To the jungle. You're gonna die. <laughs> we might. Oh, we are definitely. Die laughing. Yay. You're gonna die laughing because we're hilarious. No, please don't die. Don't, please. Yeah, we, we need all the bad. listeners we can get. Seriously. Don't die. <laughs> and tonight's alcoholic companion is You're in the Jungle Baby by Evil Twin Brewing. Which is clearly about... Guns and Roses. Oh, clearly. And it's got a beautiful leopard pattern on it. And it's 12%. And we already finished them. And that's not great for no, you guys. It's great for me. Yeah. But, because I got, I got, we I got, got notes. notes. We got notes, well, bitch. I got, I got notes. I got, I, you know, when you said you would do Guns and Roses, I was like, she does realize that there's a lot to this band, despite the fact that they were really only around oh. for a short amount of time. Oh. Yeah. Oh. There's a lot to this band. There's so much. Yeah. You would think you know, like, a band that was together for less than 10 years wouldn't have this much. You know, when... I should have known. When I googled Guns N' Roses history... Oh, no. And, a, like, the first, like, 15 things that came up were, like, 50 most ridiculous Guns N' Roses moments and 100 most ridiculous Guns N' Roses moments. I'm like, dude... They they had that many. Oh yeah, and there's more. And there's there's more. so many. It never ends. It yeah. never ends. It doesn't. It's 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 forever. <laughs> <laughs> this is forever. It is forever. And you know, I am impressed because all these guys are still alive. Honestly, from the little bits that I do know about Guns N' Roses, yeah, that's pretty fucking impressive. That is extremely impressive considering all of the bands we've covered and all of the bands we've yet to cover how many of them just like died prematurely or rocked like even slightly less than Guns N' Roses did yeah 
and just, you know, crapped out early. <laughs> like, like, you know, I that am, was a lot of cocaine. I think I'm done now. Bye. I am flabbergasted that these guys are still alive and all of them are doing really good. So good for them. You know what? Props. Props, Props. to you, Guns N' Roses. Serious. For still being alive and not on dialysis. <laughs> Serious props yeah but anyway yes let's get into this shit because it's gonna take a while we're gonna be here for a while kids it's fine buckle up buckaroos <laughs> so guns and roses was formed in 1985 in los angeles california yeah it was essentially a conglomeration of two different bands that were popular in the la rock scene at the time on the one hand you had la guns and on the other hand, you had Hollywood Rose. L.A. Guns had key member Tracy Guns on its roster, while Hollywood Rose had Axl Rose and Izzy Stradlin, who happened to be Tracy Guns' roommate. Was Tracy Guns' real name? I'm going to say no. <laughs> <I'm> pr- <laughs> I get a strong feeling that's a no. I'm pretty sure that's a no. Because... Maybe Axel Rose is not his real name either. That's he true. was William Bailey. Oh, you're such a little white boy. Right. He was a super white boy from Super White, Indiana. Ooh. Who moved to LA mm-hmm. when he was 18? 17. He was pretty young. He was 17 or 18. And uh he was basically a runaway. Well, he had a really fucked up childhood. Yeah. Really, it was really unfortunate. Really, really fucked up. Um, I believe his his a biological father was, like, the town delinquent. Yeah. Like, he, I think he was definitely a drug addict. He was a drug addict. He was a drunk. Like, mm-hmm. he couldn't hold down a job. His mom, I believe, got pregnant with him when she was 16. Oh. Didn't really know how to raise a child. No. And very soon after he was born, his dad just went away and well, abandoned them. I think they got divorced. I I, I don't even know if they or were even separated. married. Yeah. There was a separation of sorts from what I understand. Yeah. But eventually, I believe in 1984, he was actually murdered. Well, and Axel actually didn't know his biological father. Well, see, at what all. I heard was that he did, like, when he was very young, like two years old, his biological father kidnapped him for a time. Yeah. There was a point where. But he, he was, Axel was very young, so. He didn't really remember. And yeah. honestly, <laughs> this is indicative of Axel as a human being. He didn't actually remember these memories. These were things that he ended up, quote unquote, remembering after he got really into past life regression. Uh, so, and this this is way farther into the story, but um, these were like past life, or not really past life, but he was basically hypnotized when he was, quote unquote, remembering these things. So, um, so they... As he claims that they are real, Mm -hmm. I'm inclined to believe that they are real. Because it's plausible. His parents don't sound like they were exemplary by any means. Right. So, um, yeah, he he was kidnapped basically by his biological father when he was two. Mm -hmm. Supposedly his dad um, sexually molested him when he was that young. And eventually he was returned to his mother. And she just didn't really know how to raise him. But she ended up getting remarried to his stepfather, who he claimed also sexually abused him. Right. And and his his sister. And his sister. And his sister. Yes. So he had a really, really hard 
childhood. And yeah. I don't blame him for running away when he was a teenager. No. Get I, out actually, of Actually, it might have been... He might have left when he was 16 because he dropped out of school. Yeah. Um, but he actually followed Izzy Stradlin to Los Angeles and... When he got to Los Angeles, he spent quite a while trying to find Izzy because he just, he, they grew up together in Indiana. They were really good friends. And then Izzy moved away and he just followed him and tried Aww. to find him. That's kind of cute. Yeah. And eventually he did. Um, and Izzy ended up uh, creating Hollywood Rose with Axel. Right. And they were good friends with Tracy, who is in L.A. Guns. So L.A. Guns was in need of a vocalist, and Izzy suggested Axl Rose to Tracy. So Axl hopped on board and brought Izzy on along as rhythm guitarist. Tracy became lead guitarist, and they brought in bassist Ole Bike and drummer Rob Gardner, who is also in L.A. Guns. I'm finally figuring out L.A. Guns. Yeah, this is a very convoluted, intermixed web of people. Um, like you did in the 80s. Yeah. So basically, L.A. Guns had Tracy Guns. He's just one gun. He's Tracy Gun. He's not multiple guns. They played their first show as Guns N' Roses on March 26, 1985, but clearly something wasn't quite right because a whole bunch of lineup changes happened pretty quickly. Right. Ole was promptly kicked out of the band right after their first show and replaced by Duff McKagan. Oh, yeah. While Rob Gardner quit shortly afterward and was replaced by Steven Adler. Not long after that, Tracy and Axel got into an argument over a planned EP release fell through. So Tracy blew that popsicle stand and was replaced with another former Hollywood Rose member who goes by the name of Slash. I think I've heard of him before. A little bit. Also, Slash and Duff had previously known each other and were in a different band together called Road Crew. So when Duff came on board... (laughs) Road Crew? (laughs) Yeah. It's like the worst name for a band. It was after a Motorhead song. I guess, but I wouldn't name a band Road Crew. I feel like people would get really confused. You're like the... (laughs) And then who's on the road crew? Is it Road Crew's Road Crew? <laughs> oh, no. Who's on first? <laughs> this is all just a bad Abbott and Costello act. I think they did that on purpose. I hope so. But not even. Yeah. They right. could on purpose. So Tracy was in L.A. Guns. Axel and Izzy were in Hollywood Rose Fuck. with Rob Gardner. Right. And then Axel got, was in L.A. Guns. But then, I don't know. Oh, fuck. I don't, look, all I find, I don't know. Look, it took about five minutes in, but I finally realized Hollywood Rose is L.A. Guns. Oh. Yeah. Hollywood Rose is L.A. Guns. L.A. Guns is, LA, is Hollywood Rose. <laughs> but that's where they get the name from. Guns and Roses. Yes. Exactly. I. It took me a bit of you to continually yes. say Guns and Roses. We felt like, Guns and Roses. Guns and Roses. <laughs> But ironically, Tracy fucking got out of there like right after they formed. But they He's still like, stayed. I don't know about this. Yeah, he was like, mm, this mm. seems fishy. So Slash, along with Steven Adler, a joint, a, a joined, a joined, officially joined Guns N' Roses on June fourth, nineteen eighty five. The band, with their new lineup, practiced for only two days before playing their first show. 
but apparently they were pretty confident in themselves because they went out on tour only two days after that first show. What? Yeah. Sweet, but they didn't have an album out. No. they but barely just performing. They barely even had any original songs. They had a few covers, they had a few original songs, and that was about it. But they wanted to tour. So they started their own tour with the help of Duff, who is actually from Seattle, and he had connections in Seattle. So they... Uh, booked their own tour, which they called the Hell Tour, for reasons we will get into. Oh, I'm sure. And they toured uh, the West Coast up to Seattle. So that name wasn't ironic. It was not ironic. It was a mess of a tour that included two broken down vans, hitchhiking, and abandoning most of their gear on the highway. But by the end, they had all decided that, yeah, it was going to be the final Guns N' Roses lineup, whether they like it or not. Basically, they had two vans that they were driving through this tour. Mm-hmm. Both, ban- both vans broke down, and they just had to abandon them on the highway, and they ended up hitchhiking for a thousand miles-ish. With their gear and shit? They had to abandon their gear. All they had were their guitars. So they had to leave their gear in the broken down vans. Lord only knows what happened to it. But they only had their guitars. They showed up to their gig and they were like, no, you can't play. You showed up too late. (laughs) So it was just, it was hell. Literally. This shit's bananas. Yeah. Who? Right off the bat. I have to throw it out there. Like That's ballsy to be like, we don't have an album. We don't even have an EP. But we're going we're on tour. We're just going to go on tour. Yep. And fuck it. Whatever. We'll figure it out. Oh, wait. Everything broke down. But honestly, such is the amazingness of the LA hard rock scene True. at the time. Because this is the same time when Metallica yep. is, you know, first starting out. And all of these yep. really amazing um, hard rock bands are coming out of Hollywood mm. and California at the time. So everybody's really clamoring for this shit. I mean, this is hair metal too, right? Like Poison and White Snake. They're kind of getting a little bit of a start too, right? They're popular. They're getting popularity at this time, but they're a little bit different. Poison also is a big one at this time that was coming out of the scene. Um, And actually Slash once auditioned for Poison. But he decided they're not his style. No. Not at all. No. Um, But... Bands like that were gaining a whole lot of popularity yeah. at this time, or were popular already. Yeah, like Motley Crue and yep. was gaining popular around that yep. time as well, so, I feel like. This kind of music that Guns N' Roses is making, and the scene that they're in, really helped them get real popular real fast. Right. So they could they could go on a tour, even if it fucking sucks. They could go on a tour right now, even if they had no songs. Jesus. Because that was just what you did back then. Right? Cool. It really didn't take long for the band to get noticed. After playing the Hollywood club scene for less than a year, they started catching the attention of major labels. A show was set up for them at the famed Troubadour in Los Angeles, aimed specifically at a rep for Geffen Records. So naturally, everyone, with the exception of Axel, got drunk slash did heroin slash snorted coke before the show. Because all of them already have major drug problems. Oh my god. Uh, Somehow they still played a show and even managed to impress the Geffen rep. Really, it's only a move 20-somethings can do. It's kind of like when you're 21 and you get shit-faced and you're still drunk going to work, but you work full day. Yeah. 
kind of the like same I got thing. pretty drunk the night before my college graduation, and I was pretty much fine at my college graduation. Right. Like a little hungover, but I could still bagel and orange juice it through it. Right, because you were in your early twenties and yeah. you could do that. Now, oh no, oh no. Although I don't know, I and I don't know if it's because we just drink a lot, but like <laughs> I'm getting pretty good at dealing with a hangover, like just yeah. toughing it through a hangover. I'm now good at knowing when I'm too drunk before I go to bed and doing what I need to do before bed to ensure I don't have a hangover the next morning. Yeah. No, I'll still have a hangover, but again, I think I just know it how to tough through it. It won't be as bad. Yeah. It won't be as bad. That ibuprofen game is real. Oh, I take Alka-Seltzer cold because it knocks me the fuck out and I can actually sleep. Oh, Because when I'm, I drink, I can't sleep. I'm a real good sleeper. Oh, no. Always. Not me. So by March of 1986, they had signed with Geffen Records and got a pretty sweet deal out of it. They received $75,000 in advance and full artistic freedom. Wow. That's... Which is kind of unheard of. Yeah, that's not a deal most yeah. get. They had... The opportunity to sign with other um, labels, but the reason they went with Geffen was because Geffen allowed them complete artistic freedom. Yeah. And the other the other ones were giving them more money, but the record company also had more control. Right. Slash, of course, blew his portion of the advance on drugs. Well, yeah, because... Because why would you do it? Why would you blow it on, like, a studio or have, a new equipment? Have you seen what that man wears? A top hat, a cutoff t-shirt and 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 that's it and that's it jeans (laughs) at that point they didn't wear a whole lot (laughs) right so it's not like he really had to worry about wardrobe yeah right there was i did see one picture of them um playing like a house party or something and axel has his crazy like hair metal hair yeah like in welcome to the jungle and he's wearing leather assless chaps oh with with just underwear. <laughs> uh, yeah. At least he's wearing underwear. Um, I feel like underwear in ass, assless chaps look silly. Just show off the butt, bro. I mean, but in the early 80s, no, but Axel, Axel looked real good. He looked real good in the early 80s. Wait, are we talking about Axel or Slash? Axel. Axel had the ac- assless chaps. Oh, for some reason I was picturing Slash. It doesn't matter, though. They both were young. Buxom strapping gentleman. Oh, indeed. <laughs> no, yo. Google young slash. No. Young slash? Oh. I'd hit it. Oh. I'd hit it all day or day. He was hot. He yeah. was super hot. Also, side you note. Know what? A young Axel wasn't bad. I thought young was Axel cute. was really cute. Up through Appetite for Destruction. Appetite for Spaghetti. <laughs> right? As you call it. That's the name of the album. Appetite for Spaghetti. <laughs> Both Young Axel and Young Slash were quite good-looking young men. So is Duff. Duff mm. is my favorite member of Guns N' Roses, mm. honestly. I could see that. He's really cute. But um, I did a little research into Slash's background. Super interesting, by okay. the way. First of all, he was born and raised in England. Wait, really? Until he was five years old. So are his parents British? Um, I don't believe so, but they just lived in England. Because why not? Because why not? Um, his mother is African-American. His father is Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, his mother was a costume designer whose client, major clients, 
included David Bowie. Oh, yeah. And his dad was an artist who designed album covers for people like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell. Holy shit. So he grew up, after he moved to Los Angeles, he grew up, like, surrounded by famous people, basically. He got his name Slash from an actor named uh, Seymour Cassell, Mm -hmm. who is an extremely prolific actor, and also one of those guys where you see his face and you're like, oh yeah, that guy, but you can't name any movie that he's ever been in. Of course. I only know him because he had, like, a bit part as the doctor in the Royal Tenenbaums, but he's been in a bunch of Wes Anderson movies, too. But anyway... That's how Slash got his nickname. So what you're saying is Slash is the most interesting man in the world. He's so interesting. He's amazing. He has a childhood that we can only dream of even having half of. Right. And also he probably grew up really in tune to like the civil rights movement and everything like that because he was raised by an african-american mother who was in a biracial relationship in the 60s and his father's jewish and his dad is jewish this is the 60s it's not like it's that far off from horrifying oppression right so yeah he's wow also all of this is going to come into play later on all right in this podcast oh oh Yes. I can assume. <laughs> I'm making assumptions in my head. Yep. And I think this is one of the few times making an assumption only makes an ass out of Axel. <laughs> Am I right? That Yeah. Okay. Yep. Pretty much. So they were signing this contract with Geffen, but the contract signing didn't exactly go without its snags. Is it because they all showed up high on heroin and coke? Close. Ooh. Close. <laughs> By now, the band knew that what kind of dude Axel was. The rest of the world wouldn't find out until much later. But basically, Axel's a big fucking baby. You don't say. A massive baby. You don't say. And even at this point, when they were about to sign their major label contract, he was showing how much of a big fucking baby he was. The smallest things would set him off into a spastic rage. And on this day, the day of the contract signing, it was contact lenses. Okay. (laughs) He couldn't find them. (laughs) And he burst out of the house the band was living in, in total rage because he was convinced someone had hid them because this person didn't want him to be able to read the contract that he was signing. Bruh. Bruh. I had contacts for... 15 years, 16 years. And you know what I did when I, my contacts didn't work? I put on my glasses. Also, nobody was sabotaging you. I mean, there's that. Yeah. Also, I always left my contacts in the same exact spot. I mean, I had a lot of fail safes for this, so I don't really understand what his problem was on the day of the contract signing. On this, the day of my contract signing. This place, my contact lenses. Someone stole my contacts on this, the day of our contract signing. It's like a weird mix between The Godfather and Joan Rivers. Just roll with it. I'm going to go. I'm going to lean towards Joan Rivers. Who are you wearing? Where are your contacts? Who has your contacts? 
Well, it turns out he just misplaced them because it's Axel and he freaks out about dumb shit. Oh, hey, I put them on this side of my bedside instead of the other side. Oh, no. I normally put them. No, Slash found them. Shut the fuck up. In a pair of pants Axel left on the floor and didn't bother looking in. Why you put your your contacts in a pair of pants? Yeah. I don't know. Yup. Because yep. <laughs> who takes their contacts out, put them in the little lens holder, tosses them in your jeans, and then takes your jeans out? When I, Again, back in the day when I wore contacts, I would do my contacts at the very last minute. I would even brush my teeth before taking out my contacts. Because what if I need to look at something? Like a contract. <laughs> Something important. It could be two in like the morning. Like a major label record contract. <laughs> but you don't know. Maybe I come home from the club with the girls, right? And then I'm like, oh, let me brush my teeth and I'm going to floss. And then I'll take out my contacts. Ooh, but right before somebody <laughs> knocks on the door and say, hey, I need you to sign this contract. However, Where are your contacts? To Axel's credit, I'm sure he, when he was bringing chicks home from the club after performing... First thing on his mind was not, let me take out my contacts. Well, no, because you need to see them titties. <laughs> you do. So why would you, you take your contacts You need to see what you're doing. You know what? Sleep with them in. Fine. I did that for some fine. years. It's fine. It's fine. Like, don't do, but like, PSA, don't do it. But I did do it for a very long time. But if you're in a crazy rock band and you're drunk all the time, do CBH, it. CBH. Do it. Surprised he even took his lenses out. Right. We have spent a lot of time with X Rose's contacts. Let's move on. Sorry, not sorry. So anyway, Slash found them. They con- By the way, when he burst out of their apartment in a rage because he couldn't find his contacts, Ooh, their manager found him sitting on top of the whiskey a go go. Fuming because he couldn't find his contact. Keep fuming, keep fuming, Axel, calm down. Get off the top of the whiskey a go go. I want the whiskey go go. Keep from my contact. Axel, come on. You gotta come down sometime. Fine. All right. Fine. You want ice cream? Yeah. Okay, let's get ice cream. <laughs> Do you think they ever used the ice cream to get Axel to do what they wanted? God, I hope so. Axel, you want an ice cream cone? Yeah. All right, let's go get one. (laughs) I like that. I like it too. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) they ended up getting to the contract signing four hours late. Huh. But apparently nobody seemed too miffed about it. I mean... At least it's like 80s, hard metal, rock, whatever. I guess if you're convinced that this band is going to make millions of dollars for you. You'll wait for hours. You'll wait for them. You won't be too pissed off. That's fair. Yeah. So by 1986, Guns N' Roses had a contract with a major label, but also had a pretty ridiculous reputation in Los Angeles for their absolutely insane antics and hard partying. Alcohol, coke, and heroin use was abundant. They would play gigs drunk and high and then spend the rest of the nights getting drunker and higher. Ooh. And most of the time this led to fights with girlfriends, with other bands, with other bands' girlfriends, and even with each other. I was gonna say, it had to eventually bleed in. Oh yeah. 
There was one fight with Axel and Steven Adler, the drummer. Yeah. Um, at their manager's house that they were all living in at the time. Okay. Yeah, they were all living in like her one bedroom apartment because they had nowhere else to live. Woof. And I believe uh Axel like shoved Steven into a mirror or something, and then Steven threw Axel into a glass coffee table and shattered it. It was a mess. And that's when they got kicked out of their manager's apartment. <laughs> Surprisingly, no. I would have. Weirdly. Huh. Yeah. Somebody was boning somebody. Yeah. So Axel was always the most vol- volatile. He would start a fight with anyone for anything. And even back then in 1986, he already had a reputation for lateness and just not bothering to show up for gigs at all. He showed up well into the second song of their show at the Timbers Ballroom in July 86 and didn't bother showing up at all to their gig opening for Alice Cooper a few months later. You're opening for Alice Cooper. It's Alice fucking Cooper. And you don't show up. He's a big fucking deal. Yeah. You respect Mr. Cooper. Please do. <laughs> you can hang with him too. <laughs> See what I did there? Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Oh my God. Yeah. Shut up. No. Nope. Get out. Never. Get out. I can't. I'm stuck here. I you know that. But thankfully, he did show up to recording sessions for their first album, which would end up being Appetite for Destruction, which debuted on July 21st, 1987. Yay! This was the album that had the iconic Guns N' Roses artwork, the Celtic cross with five skulls depicting the faces of the five band members. There were a couple other rejected covers that they went through before landing on this one. The first was of the Challenger space shuttle exploding. Which, oh my god, what? <laughs> yeah, which Geffen outright refused because it was in bad taste. Yeah. Obviously. Wait, wait what, were you, what year was the Challenger? It was 80-something, right? Oh, it was 87, I'm pretty sure. Wait, it was the same fucking year? Yeah, it had just happened. That would be like using the... Twin Towers. Yeah, like right after You September can't do 11th. that. That would be like in 2002 Yeah, using that... the Twin Towers. I don't particularly remember the, the Space Challenger explosion. We were like three? I was, yeah, I was, I we was were three. I wasn't even four, four yet, but I don't remember it, but from what, from everything I've read in, in response to it, everyone was really fucking torn up about this well, shit. Well, a lot of kids watched it because yeah. it's like, oh, we're making history, we're yeah. doing this, and then... <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people I know who are probably a good 10 years or so older than us say, oh, I remember watching the Challenger blow up in class and being scarred for life. Yep. So yeah, and arguably, it, it's, you know, it's kind of like we could say the same for, like, 9-11. It's like, I remember seeing that shit when I was in yeah. school and you, being scarred for life. And you remember, like, people jumping out of the buildings and yeah. how much that affected you. It's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You don't, you don't do that. So, yeah. Axel, you don't do that. So, yeah. Guns and Roses. Bad taste. Wow. Bad taste. Good choice to not use that. Jesus. The other cover that was rejected was based on an actual piece of art called Appetite for Destruction by Robert Williams, in which a metal Avenger is about to throw down a robotic rapist. Apparently, this was supposed to be a commentary on industrialism and the environment and how it's, quote, raping and polluting the planet. I need to look at this art. Yeah, it's... If I can try to describe it for a second here, okay. there's this big multi-armed dagger-toothed monster 
up in the sky that's coming down and starting to attack this gross-looking robotic guy who is standing over a woman who is has like her clothing torn apart and her underwear down around her ankles. Like he's raping her. Or about to rape her. Wolf. And this robotic Avenger is like coming to take him out. I think we should probably post these on Instagram eventually. Because <laughs> I'm curious yeah. to show like these are the rejected appetite yeah. for destruction. I believe that painting was actually featured on the inside of the CD oh, insert or the okay. vinyl insert. I think they went with the right choice with the Celtic cross. Yeah, it was probably was a good, good idea. And actually that Celtic cross was a tattoo that was designed for Axel by a, a, his tattoo artist. Oh, so. like you do. Yeah, like you do. Recording Appetite sounds like it was kind of a shit show, which <laughs> you gonna, don't say. It's going to be a thing. Yeah. It's going to be a thing. Wait a minute. Spoiler. Are you saying? Spoiler, it's a thing. That there was turmoil within the band? <laughs> Just a little what? bit. Just a little bit. What? So, the band hadn't really recorded much at all up until now, and it kind of showed, especially because Slash struggled to find the right sound he wanted. Eventually, he found it in a Gibson Les Paul, which would become his uh, as signature to Slash as his floppy hair and top hat. Oh. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. He also spent hours with their producer, Mike Klink, writing solos and structuring them in just the right way. Nice. I will say, Guns N' Roses hasn't held up for me. The, yeah. I got really into them in high school, college, mm-hmm. but listening to them now, it just doesn't do the same for me. Um, They're one of those bands for me where if I listen to Appetite for Destruction or you Use Your Illusion... Mm. It is very nostalgic. Yeah. It's, if I'm listening to them, it's to have some sort of nostalgic experience. Right. It's not because I want to rock out to them right now. Yeah. Like, I had a hard time trying to listen through their discography because I'm like, I'm not really in a Guns N' Roses mood. You kind of have to be in Guns N' Roses mood. Like you said, you have to be in a nostalgia mood. But, that said, guitar-wise, they really did revolutionize a lot of sound. And especially Slash... I do always really enjoy listening to just the straight up music, at least. Yeah. I can appreciate it for its form and its theory and just the the way he works. Yeah. For what it's worth, Slash was a straight up blues guitarist. Yeah. He was very influenced by older blues musicians. And even though he was in what is essentially a hair metal band, he brought a very different vibe really to did. Guns N' Roses than like the guitarist for Poison did or White Snake or whatever. Right. He was they they were I don't very say they were basic, but they were basic in yeah. comparison to Slash, who like Slash is like fucking Mozart over here while they're over there like I'm in piano four. Yeah. To give him total credit, he had the balls to bring a different sound to heavy metal. Or, I'm sorry, uh, to hard rock. I think he revolutionized hard rock. He did not revolutionize... Guitar. Guitar. Yes. I think that's fair enough to say. Yeah, yeah. And again, like, I'm not saying, like, Slash sucks. He's um, he's great. He's super talented. He's dedicated to what he does. But there are some people who will, like... That's the hill they're going to die on is Slash. And I'm like, Slash ain't the hill no, I'm going to die on. He is not that hill. Maybe, don't, maybe, don't make him that hill. Maybe Young Slash. Maybe. I'd die on that hill. That's, that's a hill I could mm-hmm. die on. Girl. <laughs> that dick. 
but <laughs> recording happens for <laughs> like the delayed reaction of that. You're like, wait, wait, oh wait, she said dick. dick. <laughs> oh god. Recording took only two weeks. That's not mo- bad. It's it's not. Two weeks is nothing. For that band? Yeah, nothing. That's nothing. Uh but most of that time was spent recording Axel's vocals. He's he went into full on perfectionist mode and insisted on recording his vocals one line at a time. Now we've had our time with Slash. Let me have a few minutes with <laughs> Axel. Let me sit you down with Axel. No, I'm gonna give him credit. He's a fucking pain in the ass human being, but mm-hmm. I and I should find this and show it to you and probably post this on our social media if you haven't seen it. There is a really interesting article, I think it came out in 2014, maybe 2015, about the vocal ranges of popular singers. Mm -hmm. And Axl Rose, out of all the popular singers, doesn't mean pop, just like, this is talking like... Just singers Axl Rose, Beyonce, Freddie Mercury, you know, Taylor Swift, like just anybody who's been popular that you know. Right. David Bowie, whatever. Axl Rose has the widest range. He has an amazing vocal range. He can get real fucking low, and he can get amazingly high. Like, I gotta get... As somebody who's done voice lessons for a good chunk of my life, like, I couldn't... I think he's got, like, a fucking six-octave range or some insane bullshit like that. It's crazy how much his range is. And on top of that, his he can make his voice sound very diverse. Yeah. He has an extremely distinctive voice, mm-hmm. and he can do the low notes, and he can do those powerful, high, screechy, screechy vocals. Yeah, and none of it's half-assed. They're all very powerful. Yeah, and you can tell he he's he's using a lot of vocal power to get those notes and to get that sound. Just looking at him when he performs, he's yeah. bringing it. He's so, a little guy too. Isn't yeah. he only like five, five, he's five, five six? nine? Wait, really? He's five nine. He looks so tiny. I know. Is the rest of the band really tall? Um, Duff is six foot four. Is Slash so. six four with the hair <laughs> and the top hat? It's maybe. gotta be the top he's hat. He's gotta be at least maybe f- six feet. Okay. I would say he's about six feet. Because he looks significantly smaller than the rest of the band. Yeah. They they all kind of had hair. Except for Assel. Assel. I'm going to call him Assel. Oh, it works. (laughs) But all things put aside for Axel's personality, vocal-wise, he is very talented. He is. I will give him that. And I'm going to give it to him. He's a really good songwriter. Um, He didn't really play guitar or anything very well, but he was very good at piano. He wrote most of his songs on piano. Um, I mean, November Rain is a beautiful piano piece. Right. Absolutely. And uh, Don't Cry, I think, is one of my favorites, too. And those were ones that he wrote. Yeah. And they are, you're right, arguably very good songs. Yeah. And also display his vocal range really well. Oh, definitely. He knows how to use that. I mean, his his voice is definitely his instrument, and he knows how to manipulate it and how how it works. And what I like too is how they'll overlay his lower range over his higher range and vice yeah. versa. I think that's really cool how they do that in songs. Yeah. It, he, I think he did that a little bit too much with Chinese democracy, but we oh, can get into that a little bit that's, later. That's later. A little bit later. A little bit later. Um, naturally, everyone else stayed the fuck away from the studio when Axel was recording because 
him being so particular yeah. about his vocals annoy them so much. Yeah. Which I understand. I get it. I'll let him have it. But the band was excited about the album's release in the summer of 1987, but at first no one else really was. It oh. debuted at number 182 on the Billboard 200. Wow. And wouldn't top the charts until a, an entire year later. It just kind of sat there for an entire <laughs> year. Like, I'm just going to chill here at 180. Hey, guys. Hi, everybody. I'm up here. It's fine. You take your time. I'm, I'll bide mine. <laughs> Hello. Someday you'll hear my hits. And you're going to love them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. They released their first single, Welcome to the Jungle, in September 87, along with a music video, but initially, radio and MTV wouldn't play it. Eventually, huh. yeah, eventually, David Geffen personally stepped in and convinced MTV to start playing the music video, which they did once at 4 a.m. on a Sunday. Hold up. Because, like, this is 87. Mm-hmm. MTV started in 84? 81. 81? Whatever. 81. That January means... 1st, 1981. Sure. Video Killed the Radio Star was the first music video they ever played. That's my MTV knowledge. MTV knowledge. You hear it here you heard it here first, kids. <laughs> Except you all knew it. Except everybody me. knows that. I whatever, potato. So the point is they're only like six years deep in MTV. And while MTV, mm-hmm. I'm sure, is insanely popular, it's not like you're not hurting for more material in 87. Right? Mm, I don't I know. I know. Like, you've got Michael Jackson, you've got Madonna, but like, you need a little bit more metal or rock, right? You need what people are going to want to listen to. I and I think maybe Guns N' Roses was a little bit too hard rock. But I just, maybe I'm just thinking about it in the context of post its success because, yo, that shit, when once it got popular that shit was everywhere right so i have a hard time believing that mtv didn't see that and like see how they all looked in the video and see the video itself and think oh this shit's gonna be like gangbusters but you have to understand what was in the video because the video was about axel getting off of a bus into mm-hmm. a big city you know, this kid, it was basically his life story coming to Los Angeles from Indiana. Say, yeah. And he's just this, you know, small town kid getting off of a bus. As soon as he gets off a bus, there's Duff McKagan trying to sell him drugs. And he's like, oh, no, I don't know what this is. <laughs> oh, my, I don't oh, do no, that. My, my hair is big, but clutched, I don't do the drugs. Clutching my pearls. <laughs> Gosh darn it. I'm just a small town boy. Oh, and, no, he's but not, that makes sense because at this point it's Bon Jovi 24/7 on MTV. They're not dealing with music yeah. videos about, you know, some dystopian future city that this small town boy comes to and immediately he's sold drugs and then he's like forced into this weird clockwork orange kind of brainwashing thing. It's kind of weird for MTV. Yeah, I guess also too. We got, by the time I saw it, I'm like, yeah, I've seen worse. Yeah, right. We're Nirvana fans. We get it. Yeah, like, (laughs) I've been on the internet at this point. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, MTV wasn't really into playing it, but they played it once for David Geffen at 4 a.m. on a Sunday. Are you not merciful? Am I not merciful? 
Fucking. All right. Thank you, Commodus MTV. <laughs> but somebody somewhere, presumably with a hard bout of insomnia, saw it and took notice. And soon enough, people started calling in and requesting the video to be played more. Oh, shit. Somebody saw it and they were like, See? yo, MTV. See? The shit's good. I know what's up. MTV should have hired me in 87 <laughs> at three years old. At I would have been real good at this shit. Excuse me? I was scared of Tyrannosaurus Rexes. That video would have scared the shit out of me. You was watching Barney. What are you talking about? I don't think Barney was on back then. They weren't. It wasn't. No, I was watching Sesame Street. Girl, I'm OG. Fraggle Rock. Hell yeah. Fraggle Rock. Red? That was my bitch. Mm-hmm. Ride or die. <laughs> So, Welcome to the Jungle itself was a pretty interest has a pretty interesting story behind it. While it was written, while the band was playing a show in Seattle, it was about Los Angeles and yep. inspired by an incident Axel had in New York City. Huh. After he and a friend stepped off of a bus into New York City, they ran into a homeless man who tried putting some fear into the small town Indiana boys. The homeless man apparently yelled at them, "You know where you are?" You're, You're in, in the, the jungle, jungle baby. baby. You're going to die. Oh, my God. I love that that was actually a thing yelled at Somebody them. actually yelled that at Axel, and they are my hero. Thank you, Homeless Man. Thanks, Homeless York Man. <laughs> Sweet Child of Mine was released as their second single from Appetite for Destruction and would become their only number one hit. Really? Only number one hit. Ever. Ever. Believe it or not. I don't believe it. I didn't either, but... It, it, but the, there it is. But the internet says yes. Well, if the internet says it. Right. Clearly. Ironically, it started out as a warm-up exercise. Slash was playing at band practice. I could 100% see that. Right? It's a fucking... <laughs> that intro, it's yeah. just a finger exercise for yeah. guitar players. And it's, it's like fifths. Mm-hmm. It's like fifths on a piano, so I get it. Yep. He was just fucking around on his guitar when Izzy asked him to play the riff again putting chords behind it. Before nice. they knew it, an entire song had been written in an hour. Meanwhile, Axel was upstairs listening to what they were coming up with and writing lyrics to go along with the song. This almost sounds like a really sweet little picture, you know, right? like them practicing yep. downstairs and Axel sitting on his bed upstairs. He's writing his diary, but he mm-hmm. hears them. And he's like, oh, hold on. I have some great lyrics that would go really well for this about my girlfriend. Yeah. I'm going to write them. Yeah. It probably wasn't nearly as wholesome as that. Probably not. He was probably super hungover. And they were probably really high. Yeah. Yeah. But whatever. (laughs) They came up with a really nice song. Hey, I walked down the aisle to this song. Seriously? Yeah. Uh, One of my kind of regrets is that I hired a four-string quartet for my wedding. Uh, The only reason I regret it is because you don't have to pay for a four-string quartet. You could have just had somebody press play on a fucking boombox because MP3s are a thing. Truth. But it was a very sweet aesthetic. Anyway, yes. so I hired a four-string quartet, <laughs> and they played Sweet Child of Mine for my dad to walk me down the aisle. Oh, It's cute. I guess it's cute. I don't know if I would want that song to be playing when my dad walks me down an aisle, but... Nobody's singing it? So I it just guess. sounds pretty? Come on, imagine that, like, beautiful guitar exercise just playing over and over again. <laughs> You could have just had some random person who doesn't even know how to play guitar just playing that. I could have. Again, sh- don't hire a four-string quartet. There's plenty of MP3s out there, kids. Yep. Don't you don't even need a DJ, really. You really don't. You don't. You don't. You just need a good uh, well, playlist. Mm, you need somebody to operate that playlist though. Yeah. Yeah. Get a friend. Yeah. 
Phone a friend. Phone a friend. Um, but anyway, Axel took inspiration from his then-girlfriend, Erin Everly, mm-hmm. daughter of Don Everly from the Everly Brothers. Mm-hmm. How many times can I say Everly in this Everly-loving sentence? Drank. <laughs> Slash said numerous times that he absolutely hated Sweet Child of Mine, but he also said that their next single, Paradise City, was his favorite. So really... I'm not. Can you trust Slash? No, I can't. Because as much as I used to love Paradise City, I uh-uh. kind of fucking hate it now. I ca- like I've told you in text, Paradise City is like smells like tea and spirit yeah. for me. I could live the rest of my life and never fucking hear it again and be totally cool with yep. it. But at the same time, it's one of those songs that constantly gets stuck in my oh head my for God, absolutely no yes. reason. It is like the number three, I would say worst earworm on the planet. I will say there it's only saving grace for me is that according to our friend Mora, when they were kids, they thought they're saying take me down to the prairie dog city. Aww, and I'm like prairie, I dog, go to the prairie city, dog city. Right? And I'm like, well now I that's like it's only saving grace for me is that you could change the words to take me down to a prairie dog city. Take me down to, to the, the prairie, prairie dog city where the grass is green and the rodents are pretty. Take me home, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. works. There we go. That works. That's it. You're welcome. You're going to have that stuck in your head for the rest of the fucking night, assholes. <laughs> but Prairie Dog City. Prairie Dog City. But Prairie Dog City reached number five on the Billboard charts. And by the time it did, Appetite for Destruction had reached number one. Wow, and I think I realized this yesterday and forgot it because I'm drinking now, but so Appetite for Destruction had at least half of their hit singles on it. Yeah, a lot of their biggest hits were off of Appetite for Destruction, aside from November Rain and Don't Cry. Yeah, and um, there's a couple others. Yeah, there's a few others. We'll get to them. Yeah. We'll get to them. There's one I can't remember the name of, but whatever. (laughs) But the album would go on to sell 30 million copies worldwide, and it is still the best-selling debut album of all time in the United States. Shit. Yeah. Good for you, Guns N' Roses. This is the point where Guns N' Roses blew the fuck up. They had three majorly (laughs) successful singles and a number one album, and so they went out on a 16-month tour to support it. They headlined shows in both Europe and the U.S., but also open for some pretty major acts like Motley Crue, Aerosmith, and Alice Cooper. And, of course, forever following them was their wild and raucous reputation. Yeah. Not only was Axel starting fights with security guards and fans alike, but drummer Steven Adler was drunkenly punching streetlights and broke his hand. Oh, my God, what? (laughs) You're not going to win a fight with a streetlight. You're just not. Apparently, he was... It's the one object that won't fight back, but you're still not going to win. I'm going to get you, streetlight. Fuck you. You're not going to beat me up, bro. I'm a fucking streetlight. I'm made of metal. Punch me. Oh, God, I broke my hand and I'm a drummer. Yep. Great. Smooth move, (laughs) X-Lax. But yeah, apparently he was in like a brawl, a drunken brawl at a bar, and he went to punch somebody and missed because he was shit-faced and punched a streetlight and broke his hand. Oh my god. On top of that, Steven's heroin use started to get out of control. I mean, you know. I mean, 
any heroin use is out of control. Yeah, like just even once. That's too just much, Just once guys. is out of control. But he was constantly using and constantly fucked up. And with the exception of Axel, who was fairly tame when it came to using drugs and alcohol, these guys really lost their shit over drugs. And Steven's drug of choice happened to be heroin. That's not a good drug of choice. Slash's drug of choice was also heroin, but I think he was kind of 50-50 with heroin and coke. It was like one or the other plus alcohol all the time. Okay. Either way, it's not fucking good. Yeah, I'm like trying to find a silver lining with this and I'm having a real hard time. Yeah, there is none. Um, But Steven entered rehab in 1989 so he could kick his heroin habit, briefly being replaced by Don Henley, of all people. What? For Guns N' Roses American Music Awards performance. What? Don Henley. Yeah, wrap your mind around that one. I'm not. <laughs> you can't. I can't. You can't. It does not make sense at all. Desperado. Nah, man. <laughs> prairie Dog City. Living <laughs> it up in the prairie city with guns and roses. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's how it goes, right? Yes, now it is. <laughs> so Stephen's stint in rehab didn't really work, but he rejoined the band after rehab anyway and continued the tour. His continued drug use didn't sit well with Axel, who called him out on stage while opening for the Rolling Stones. Oh my. Without mentioning names, though it was pretty obvious to the band that he hey, was- Hey, our fucking drummer! That's pretty <laughs> this much fucking name, guy. Axel. This fucking guy over here. This motherfucker over here. He's using heroin. Tell him to stop, fans. Dear fans, tell him to stop. <laughs> Love Axel. But without actually mentioning any names, though it was pretty obvious to the band that he was talking about Steven, and to a certain extent Slash 2, Axel said that those shows would be GNR's last if some band members didn't stop, quote, dancing with Mr. Brownstone. (gasps) And Mr. Brownstone is is a song off of Appetite for Destruction that was all about their heroin use. Oh. Oh, it's yeah. actually a really catchy song, though. Yeah. And if you listen to it, it's like, I'm, what is he? The lyric is like, I'm dancing with Mr. Brownstone yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all about how, like, they can't get away from this Mr. Brownstone, which is actually heroin. Oh. Yeah, it's all about drug use. Look at that. Yeah. You know, in Axel's defense, another thing is back then, you know, AIDS was rampant and you weren't just getting it from sex, you were getting it from needle sharing. Yeah. And needle sharing happens with heroin. And these guys are lucky as fuck They're that so none of them got lucky. a disease from either, like, all of the crazy sex they were having. And none of it was, there's no way it was oh, protected. Fuck no. Fuck no. And all of the heroin use that they were doing, they are so fucking like, lucky. I can't imagine. They're like, I'm going to shoot up, but hold on, before we have sex, allow me to cover up with a Jimmy. <laughs> Nobody's Please doing allow that. me to roll this condom on carefully so I don't break it. I don't want to catch diseases and or get you pregnant. And you know what? I am concerned about your well-being. But like, <laughs> but first, let me shoot some no, heroin. <laughs> that was the Chainsmokers original song. But first, let me shoot some heroin. But, but first, let me shoot some heroin. But they were like, you know, I don't know if it's a, if that's as relevant. You know what's more relevant right now? Selfies. <laughs> Yeah, let's chase this heroin thing to selfies. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and little tidbit, somewhere in here, Axel punched David Bowie in the face. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're done. <laughs> Get the fuck out. Get the fuck, fuck out of here. Fuck you, Axel. You don't punch David Bowie. Nobody punches David Bowie except for his one friend who did and then ruptured his eye and now then he had that pupil thing. Okay. Well, that's why he had the weird eyes. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. Yeah, because it's eyes. not different colored eyes. It's that one pupil was forever dilated that because he got in a fight with his friend at like 16 or 17 over a girl and he peck, he punched him in the face and he I don't remember exactly what happened because it's medical, but something got ruptured and basically his eye was forever dilated after that. Well, ironically... Again, in this situation, he got punched in the face over a girl. Hold up. Axl Rose, you get the fuck to the back of the line. Because any woman that wants David Bowie, David Bowie her fucking him. gets him. Let her, her have him. Whatever. The point is, shut the fuck up. Ax- shut the fuck up, Axl, and sit the fuck down. You do not touch David Bowie. Well, Axl did not listen to you. He did it. He did not. What was this, four-year-old Maggie? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Again, one, the three and four-year-old Maggie would have been great in these yeah. situations, yeah. by the way. <laughs> the story went that they were uh, recording for a music video. I can't remember which song it was, but they were recording for a music video. And for some reason, David Bowie showed up on set and was apparently paying too much attention to Aaron Everly, which was Axel's girlfriend at the time. So Axel just socked him and... David Bowie was like, all right, I'm sorry. You know what? I Not I, worth it. I, I sincerely apologize. I didn't mean to do it, and I will not do it again. And he and Axel ended up becoming friends. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> I don't believe it. No, I mean, I believe it, but I don't allow it. Yeah. I'm not okay with this. It doesn't sit well with me. Well, David Bowie's a goddamn gentleman <laughs> and a scholar. <laughs> and Sir. here comes... Scrub ass Axel Rose be like, me, teach him a girlfriend. And then David Bowie's like, well, do you want to go get an ice cream cone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's how they became friends. Give me some ice cream. <laughs> I like your Axel Rose voice. <laughs> but Guns N' Roses controversies didn't end with just drinking too much and abusing drugs. And punching David Bowie in the face. And punching David Bowie in the face. Oh, no. It included insulting anyone other than straight white guys, too. Mm-hmm. Geffen wanted to capitalize on the recent fame explosion, so the record company released GNR Lies, a compilation of four recordings from an earlier EP and four new acoustic tracks. There was actually a single off the album called Patience, mm. which honestly is one of my favorite Guns N' Roses songs. Yeah, Patience is fine. That's a yeah. good song. Despite the fact that I fucking can't stand it when people whistle. He whistles. He whistles a lot in songs, though. He does whistle. Axel but, whistles a lot. But he's I, can, a whistler. I can deal with it because he's a good whistler. He's a good whistler. If you have a good whistling ability, I am okay with it. But if you're just sitting there, like, doing one no-bullshit whistle, I'm gonna punch you in the face like Axel did to David Bowie. Too soon. Sorry. It's okay. It still upsets me that he did that. I know. Also on this album was a song called One in a Million, yeah. and boy is it. And boy, boy is, it. is it. 
Boy, is it. It caused a bunch of controversy because of the lyrics, which can only be described as bigoted at best. Right off the bat, the N-word is thrown out there, clearly referencing black people. Mm. Later in the song, Axel continues the racial slurs and throws in some homophobia for good measure. Yeah. For example, immigrants and faggots, they make no sense to me. They come to our country and think they'll do as they please. Like start some mini Iran or spread some fucking disease. Mm -hmm. And they talk so many goddamn ways. It's all Greek to me. Which is funny because it's basically exactly what your racist right-wing uncle posts on Facebook all the time. What? what? Is that a thing? <laughs> yeah. Is that a thing in okay. Axl Rose's life? That's a thing in, like, everybody's life. <laughs> oh, 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 you're not you're not just referencing Axl Rose's I'm, uncle. I'm referencing, like, most all of, of our like, uncles. all of our uncles at you this know, point. I'm going to give my uncles credit. None of them have Facebook and none of them are that racist. A lot of my uncles do have facebook but they don't really post so i don't i and i don't talk about that yeah. shit with my family anymore oh, no. because it's it's bad so i'm not gonna say anything right as far as i know my uncles are super cool right thanks uncles good job our uncles but we're talking about your uncle <laughs> and you know who you are yeah and you know who your uncle is yeah because you're friends with him on facebook <laughs> and you're like and he's basically axel rose right now yeah well and it's funny because I, I remembered, I listened to the song the other day, and then I remembered there being a controversy over it. And I also remember, I don't know if they actually did it, but they talked about for a little while taking it off of GNR Lies because of, you know, now that doesn't really hold up. Right. In any way, shape, or form. So I I don't know if they ever did for a time take it off, but it's still on there now. Well, I mean, I listened to it the other day on... Amazon Music. Yeah, it was still on there. So. Yeah, no, it was. Well, and there was a part of me that's like, is he singing it ironically? <laughs> but what Maybe. does it all mean? Yeah. Well, that's what I wondered too. Like, what is this song even about? Yeah. Well, I just like, are you just saying shit to say shit? Are you saying shit to piss people yeah. off? Are you saying shit to be ironic? You don't Axel know. Rose. He's crazy pants. But let me try and shed some light. Onto this. Okay. He kind of tried to defend himself later in a Rolling Stone article. On using the N-word, he says, why can black people go up to each other and say N-word? <laughs> but, but when a white guy does it, all of a sudden, it's a big put down. What? Well, I don't know. Why, Axel? Look, Maybe because of racism. American history and racism and slavery and the civil rights movement. I'm going to throw it out there. Maybe. I, you know what? I don't use the word. And it doesn't... You know what? I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to use the word. I'm just not going to use it because it makes me uncomfortable. And if that's something I have to let go of because, like, you know, we were terrible to black people, I'm okay with that. You know what? It doesn't hurt me to not say that word. Again, not a hill you're going to die on. Bingo. Not worth it. Not worth it. And also, too, context means a lot to me. Yes. It, Two black guys saying that to each other, you know, I don't get the same vibe off of that. Like, it's because then when Axel's singing it, and I'm like, ooh, how did you mean that word though? It's because when two black people are saying that to each other, they're not insulting each other. Exactly. They are taking that word back and putting a new meaning to it. Yeah. In an effort to try and make it okay. Yeah. 
because it was such an oppressive and horrible word. You know, when a white guy does it, it's still fucking racist. It still doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's not cute. Right. You just don't fucking do it. If there's ever a day where, you know, the black community comes out like, all right, white people, you can use this word. I might consider it. But like until then, I'm like, you know what? I don't need to use it. I don't need it. And you know, I don't need it in my vocabulary. And you don't either, Axel. And I, I get it. It's the late 80s. Right. People ain't as woke as they are now. Right. But everyone still knows that N-word is not a good word. And white boys from Indiana cannot use it. And also, they cannot make profit off of it. No. And in his interview, this is years later, he should have just said, I shouldn't use the word. That wasn't appropriate. And just leave it at that. And, and he like, didn't. But I'm going to get to that. All right. Let's keep going. <laughs> let's just keep digging that hole. <laughs> when asked, In the same article, when asked about the homophobic slurs, he says he's, quote, pro-heterosexual and also, quote, I've had some very bad experiences with homosexuals. But I'm not against them doing what they do as long as they're not forcing it upon me. Which is so homophobic dude of him to say that it enrages me. Enrages me. It's one thing when someone says, yeah, I fucking hate gay people. But what's scarier is someone who can intelligently say, I fucking hate gay people without saying, I fucking hate gay people. And that's kind of what he does that's, here. Yeah, he's trying to say, well, like, well, I don't... I don't care what you do, but just don't do it to me. Which is basically saying, I fucking hate gay people, and I don't well, want to see it. It's that, like, it's that typical white, straight dude response of, well, I'm not gay. Why do you have to be gay around me? I'm not gay. I just don't want them to do it around me. It's like you are so terrified of getting slightly in touch with this like either slightly homosexual or slightly feminine side that you cannot handle another guy who likes other guys even being around you. And also not every Gay guy wants you. Yeah. Just because you're a guy doesn't mean all these gay guys want you. Just because you were a total twink in the 80s, Axl Rose, (laughs) does not mean every gay guy wants you. Yeah. I mean, you're hot, but you're not that hot. Yeah, like, bring it down, brah. Bring it down. Yeah, that's such bullshit. Yeah. So he later went on to admit that he used the N-word specifically to insult black people because he was upset that some black kids... That tried to mug him at the bus station in L.A. That's right. I remember that story. Yeah. You can't do that. And all of this. (laughs) What the fuck? God damn it. And all of this is pretty ironic considering Slash, Axel's own bandmate, is half black. Okay. Yep. And Slash has said that while he didn't condone the song, he also didn't condemn Axel for writing it. He really didn't want this song to be included right. on the album because yeah it's kind of insulting kind of but in the end he kind of was just steamrolled by axel who was like no nah, it's going on and axel fucking knew from the get-go that what he was saying wasn't cool because in the liner notes of the album he apologizes for being offensive he's really hard to get a read on he's bonkers like why would you be like i'm gonna say this piss you off i'm real sorry i'm pissing you off but i'm gonna say it anyway that's like his mo for his entire fucking life oh my god it's insane yeah 
So the album art also caused a bit of a stir. It was designed to look like a mock tabloid with yeah. fake headlines. Originally included the headlines, quote, wife beating has been around for 10,000 years and quote, lady is welcome to the dark ages. Yeah. I think this pretty much sums up the band's attitudes towards women. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. That'll come into play later also. Oh, yeah. So all of this controversy and heroin abuse along with Axel's bullshit lyrics and even worse defense of them didn't stop people from showing up to their concerts. Oh, no. People fucking loved them. Mm-hmm. But one of their concerts would end in tragedy. Just one? <laughs> I'm pretty sure Arguably all of them, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> there's a few. Mm. But this one in particular happened in August 1988 when the band played England's Monsters of Rock show. There were about 107,000 fans in attendance and many of them began slam dancing when the band started playing It's So Easy. Axel even stopped the show several times to get the crowd to calm down, but when all was said and done, two fans were trampled to death <sighs> under the crushing crowd. Oh, jeez. The band was truly gutted by this, and from then on, Axel became known for stopping their shows, sometimes in the middle of a song, if he saw something going on that wasn't right. As the band rounded out the 1980s, they were easily one of the biggest and richest rock bands in the world. After two straight years of touring for Appetite for Destruction, it was time to go back into the studio to record a follow-up. The recording of the Use Your Illusion albums was filled with tension and anxiety for everyone in the band. Years of touring, harder than hard partying, drug abuse, and Axel's unchecked manic, manic depressive mental issues oh, put tons of strain on the band. But they headed into the studio in 1990 with a ton of creativity and an overabundance of material to work on. Yup. But some of the band members just couldn't handle it and tensions were heightening. A lot of this tension was because Steven Adler's still rampant drug use. Uh. The band's solution was to make Steven sign a contract that stated he would stop doing drugs or else be fired from the band. Oh. He signed it and vowed to get clean, but when time came to start recording, it became pretty obvious that Steven wasn't exactly squeaky. <laughs> he tried playing a drum solo 20 or 30 times, but he just couldn't do it because he was so fucked up. Wow. The track ended up being heavily edited just to make it sound right on the record. So was he going to rehab for this stuff or was he just trying to quit cold turkey? He had been in rehab. That's right. when Don Henley replaced him. Yeah. Um, And then he came back from rehab and it wasn't long until he was using again, if he even stopped. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how any of this stuff works, but I mean, I don't know if he was on methadone or whatever they were doing to try to keep him clean. Well, he... He said that when right before or right during this time when he was trying to do this drum tracking and he mm -hmm. couldn't do it, he said that he couldn't do it because he was fucked up because of the medication he was on to keep him from relapsing. Oh. So he was blaming it on his rehab drugs right. that he was taking. The band was like, no, he was using. So you I don't really know. Either way, like... Because withdrawal is a motherfucker. It sure is. But at this point, I would think that he should have been in a place where he shouldn't have been taking that many drugs to get off of the hard drugs. No. 
and, and like, then be that fucked up that he couldn't play drums. Because methadone, from what I understand, is it's more of a physical, not so much of a mental. It probably gives you a little bit of a high, but yeah. not the same way heroin should. Yeah, I really... Ha- I'd, I mean, I don't know. I'm the last person to ask about yeah, that. Yeah, I but- mean, I barely done anything so i haven't even I've, smoked pot so i wouldn't even know i've never looked at heroin so <laughs> i don't know you're asking two girls who don't who know shit don't know about heroin we might know about music but we don't know about we heroin. don't know shit about heroin i guess that could be our new tagline <laughs> <laughs> yes new motto new, new motto. business cards yes so Stephen was officially fired on July 11th, 1990. Oh. His last live show with the band was Farm Aid 4, which was a pretty funny shit show in and of itself. Okay. Um, Stephen was so fucked up that he face planted on his drum riser. Oh. And wordsmith extraordinaire Axel Rose yelled good fucking night into the microphone at the end of the show on live TV. Willie Nelson would have been proud. I'm sure. Well, I mean, was he proud? I highly He's doubt it. He's still alive. He <laughs> well, was I mean, alive at the when time. At the time, he was probably real proud. Yeah. But back in the studio, the band found themselves super productive. Izzy, Axel, and Slash all brought in tons of material. Izzy, in particular, was a songwriting machine, having a newfound sobriety to help fuel his creativity. Very nice. The first one of the band to get sober. Good job, Izzy. Axel would end up penning three pretty epic breakup anthems with November Rain, yep. Don't Cry, and it's and Estranged. Yeah. Some of which would be related to his relationship with Aaron Everly that went completely sour shortly after their quickie Las Vegas wedding in April 1990. Oh. And they divorced ten months later. Huh. And actually, November Rain and Don't Cry were very, very early Guns N' Roses songs. That they oh. they were already playing those songs live before they even had a record contract. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. But they were reworked again and again and again because Axl Rose is crazy obsessive about his songs yeah. and how they're written yeah. and rewrites them a million times. And eventually they ended up on Use Your Illusion. Okay. So. There you go. Yeah. They also recorded two other huge hits for the band, a cover of Bob Dylan's Knockin' on Heaven's Door and yep. Live and Let Die. They also recorded You Could Be Mine during these sessions, but it was left on the cutting room floor, only to be picked up later for the Terminator 2 soundtrack. Oh. Yeah, because you remember Terminator 2 came out during this time? Oh, God, that's such a good fucking oh, movie. Oh, it's fantastic. I keep thinking, you know, because, probably because it's summer blockbusters and a lot of... Uh, the cool podcasts we actually follow, other Potter and Family podcasts, have been posting summer blockbuster movies from the 90s for some reason. But because a lot of they them, were fantastic! They were fantastic. But a lot of them keep posting Terminator 2, and I'm like, God, I want to fucking rewatch Terminator 2. I know. It's so fucking good. For some reason, every time I hear You Could Be Mine, I always think of the scene in Terminator 2 when, oh, uh, what's his name? T-1000. Oh, the T-1000. When the T-1000 is driving the Mack truck. Yes. And he like careens off the fucking yes! bridge and plops down and he's chasing Eddie Furlong on the fucking motorbike. Oh. And I'm just thinking of that scene with You Could Be Mine playing in the background in my in my oh, mind. Oh, so good. And terrifying because I'm terrified no. of Mac, of 18 T- wheelers. Oh, 
I was terrified. Say, are you terrified of the T-1000? Because I sure as fuck was as a kid. Also terrified of the T-1000. Yes. Oh, God. Absolutely. So good. That is that is a true fucking bone chilling villain. Also, one props of, to the T one thousand. Yeah. Oh, I forgot the actor's name, but he's fantastic. He is an amazing actor. But anyway, the other scene that was also terrifying. There's so many terrifying yeah. scenes because I definitely saw this when I was way too yeah, young. Yeah, we were probably <laughs> eight when I this was, came out. Yeah, I was like way seven too young. or eight when this came out. And I remember yeah. my brother renting it and being like, oh man, I'm so excited. And I was yeah. like, what's well, this movie? I'm really interested, but I'm also terrified. Yeah. But it's still really good. I also saw Silence of the Lambs when I was like 10, so. Yeah. Arguably, when we were kids, we saw a lot of shit we shouldn't have seen. We saw a lot of rated R movies we probably should not have seen. Looking but... at you parents now. Let your kids watch weird shit. We're fine. Seriously. It's no. Fine. Let them watch a, a meticulously picked out rated R movie every once in a while. And... It will be for the better. Hey, friends with kids. I promise. Let me babysit your kids. I'll make them watch Silence of the Lambs. It'll be fine. Terminator 2 is fine. Would you fuck me? <laughs> I'd fuck me. I'd f- I'm, and here, and this is where all my friends are like, well, Maggie's never babysitting. But, I mean, if they're young enough, they just, they don't know. They don't know. They don't know what fucking means. Yeah. They don't understand that Buffalo Bill actually has a penis and it's tucked between his legs. <laughs> Whatever. It teaches them about gender fluidity, okay? Really, it makes them a more accepting human. Seriously. Anyway. (laughs) We digress. It was during these recording sessions that Axel's manic depression was really starting to get out of control. He would lock himself in his home for days or weeks at a time, refusing to record because he didn't think it felt right. Other times he would be recording machine and wouldn't stop until everything sounded exactly the way he wanted it. He also started to try and control everything about the band. Against the wishes of the rest of the band, he absolutely insisted on firing their manager, Alan Niven, for no reason. Oh my god, okay. But he gave the courtesy of threatening to not finish the album unless this guy was fired. Cool. You know. Cool, cool. For no good reason. And this guy had been their manager for years. Since the beginning? Yeah. And Ugh. and obviously did well by them. Clearly. Yeah. Finally, in September 1991, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 were released simultaneously oh. and topped the Billboard charts at number two and number one, respectively. Which one was... No- Hold on. Hold on. Number one was number two and number I was going to say, I bet one. number one was number two and number <laughs> two was number one. Yes, you got it. You got it. I'm only guessing that because according to plays on like Amazon and Spotify, the songs on two got more plays than the songs on one. Yes. Yup. You are correct. I used logic <laughs> and my illusion. <laughs> At the time, this had never been achieved by any other group in history. Jesus. It was also released one week prior to Nirvana's Nevermind, who were Guns N' Roses's label mates. And future rivals. Oh, yeah. We talked about that in a previous episode. We did. I didn't put that in my notes because we already talked about it, but there was a pretty epic Guns N' Roses slash Nirvana rivalry, and it was fantastic. I believe we covered it in our Nirvana episode. We did. With you in utero. Indeed, we did. So go back and listen to that if yes. you don't know what we're talking about. But back in May 1991... Months before the albums were released, Guns N' Roses had already started touring for the albums. 
They embarked on a 28-month tour to support the releases. And if we thought the tour for Appetite for Destruction was nuts, we were wrong. Oh. Even though the Use Your Illusion tour was a major financial success, it was insanity from the get-go. If we thought Axl Rose and, like, bullshit happened during the other tours... Oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. Buckle up, buckaroos. For real. And on that note, we're going to end this episode and make this bitch a two-parter. Because this shit's deep. I got notes. It was so funny when Ashley texted me. <laughs> I was just like, yo, there's a lot about Guns N' Roses. And I said, you know, if you need to make this a two-parter because it's Guns N' Roses, we can do that. And I was like, no, I think I'm good. And, and then, then today you were like, like this is a lot of notes. And I was like, again, with the two-parter, though. <laughs> we didn't expect this to be a two-parter, but it's a two-fucking-parter. It's, it's going to have to be a two-parter because yeah. I, I can't. Guys, like, we're only at 91. <laughs> and arguably this band's still going. We're at 91. It's still going. And there's so, so much. There's and so I much. just want to cry in a fetal position. Why do you think we're really drunk right now? <laughs> So, unbeknownst to you, we'll probably record part two right now, but, like, y'all probably won't hear it for, like, a week, because editing's a lot, guys. Yeah. Editing takes me a while. And these are long. But we're just gonna keep going. We're just gonna keep rolling. But, you know, until then, we're breaking off for now. Gonna give your ears a little break. Maybe you wanna go listen to some Guns N' Roses music, go look up some of the album covers, see what we're talking about. Maybe go watch some YouTube videos about how crazy pants Axl Rose was. Yeah, go... Find some videos of their performances in the 90s. They're entertaining and they're, I mean, they're really good live, but also extremely entertaining. And unpredictable. And unpredictable. Yeah. And also, Axel's outfits at this point, different. Mm. I'll say different. Different. Interesting. They were different. They are very uh, white boy. Yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fun to fun to look at. Yes. Very fun. And even you can be Axl Rose for Halloween. <laughs> like, some people arguably already are. Yeah. Every day. Yeah, every day. Rich, Richard Spencer, I'm looking at you. Oh, uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And until you get the next episode, until you get part two, why don't you go and follow us on all the things like Facebook and Instagram at Rock Candy Podcast and at Twitter at Rock Candy Pod. And our website is www.rockcandypodcast.com. And we are available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and Stitcher and TuneIn and any podcatchers. You do what you got to do to listen to us. Listen to us. I'm sure you're anxiously awaiting the next episode. Maybe it's out already. Maybe you're just like, shut the fuck up, Maggie. I'm just going to listen to it now because you're like binging on it and you waited till everything was out. Maybe. Or maybe you're like, shut the fuck up, Maggie. I'm done. Or maybe you're just sitting there thinking, take me down to To the Prairie Dog City where the grass is green and the roads are pretty. Take me home. Because that's probably what you're thinking That's probably what it is. Mm -hmm. With that. Party on, Ashley. (laughs) Party on, Maggie. Party on, you crazy kids out there. Don't do heroin. Don't do heroin. Just don't. Don't. Bye. Bye.